Welcome, friends. You are listening to the podcast for First Christian Church in Fort Myers, Florida. To learn more, join us online at fccfm.org. It is a blessing to be able to share God's Word with you today. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, church. For all of you who are in the room, for those of you joining us online, and for those listening in on Way FM, we are so glad all of you are here. This is week number three of our August sermon series called Leadership. And today we're gonna look at Elijah and Elisha, and we're gonna see how leaders should always be looking forward. But first, I wanna look backwards, just for a few minutes. All the way back to my childhood. Now, I'm not sure how much of this I've shared before. I can't remember what all I've shared with you, but I grew up just outside of Tulsa, Oklahoma on 80 beautiful acres. And 50 of those acres were pastures where we raised livestock, and 30 of those acres were trees and forests where we hunted and we played. And our property was split right down the middle by a creek, and we had several ponds to fish and to swim in. And my parents bought that farm when I was five years old and my sister was seven and my baby brothers were yet to be born and they moved us from a bustling neighborhood in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, where we spent most of our time playing to the farm where we would spend most of our time working. And I think their primary goal was just to change the pace of our lives and to make sure we had the opportunity to develop a stronger work ethic and to learn to do things we might not otherwise learn to do. For instance, to keep the farm running, we had a number of additional vehicles that most families don't have. We had riding mowers and tractors and farm trucks, as well as all kinds of farming equipment, such as trailers and hay balers and all kinds of stuff. And when you have lots of vehicles and lots of farming equipment, something is always breaking down, always. And when you have lots of that kind of stuff, it's, it's too expensive to bring in mechanics and technicians to service them. And so if our truck broke down, we didn't take it to a mechanic, we did the work ourselves. If some of our farming equipment broke, we didn't bring in someone to do the welding, we did the welding ourselves. In addition, now we didn't do a lot of planting, some but not a lot, but we did raise a lot of livestock. We had cows and horses and chickens and goats and pigs and rabbits, we even had ducks. We harvested our our own milk, our own eggs, chicken, pork, beef, we did it all. And I was always kind of mad about that as a kid because while my friends were staying up late playing video games, we were going to bed early so that we could get up and do chores before school. And while my friends were hanging out with each other in the summer, I was cutting and hauling hay for 10 measly cents a bale. And there were even times that I thought to myself, I think my parents had four kids so they would have more help on the farm. I remember countless times, for instance, we had to uh, change the brakes on the truck after my dad got home from work and I got home from school. And and I'm talking even like in elementary school, second or third grade, and, and we'd eat dinner and then dad would say, Matt, we're gonna be working in the barn tonight on the truck. And and I think, see, he just wants me here to do his work for him. That is so not fair. 
And then we'd go out to the barn, and even in elementary school, he would, he would have me back the truck in, and then he'd have me jack it up, and he would have me put it on the jack stands. He'd have me get out the air compressor and the pneumatic tools. And in my mind, I was like, why isn't he doing this? Am I here just to make his life easier? And then he would, he would put his hands on my hands and help me wrench the lug nuts free. And, and then he would sit me in front of him and together we would take off the wheels. And, and then he'd essentially be right over me as he'd tell me how to remove the brakes. And by the way, if you're into mechanics, most of our farm vehicles had drum brakes rather than disc brakes. And those are a whole lot more complicated to change. And, and I remember he would literally put his hands on my hands and help me stretch all those little springs. And I was always a little bitter about it. I literally have moments where I thought, I am here to make my dad's life easier. Even though I knew he loved me and I knew he was raising the best he knew how, sometimes I just felt like free labor. And I felt like this for years, until about 10 or 15 years ago, when I decided to change the brake pads on Janice's minivan and thought I would take a page out of my dad's playbook and teach my oldest son how to do it. Start him young, teach him some things. And I remember putting the lug wrench in his hands and watching him struggle to remove them. And I was like, you know what, just let me do it. And then I remember telling him where to put the jack but getting frustrated with his speed and his placement and being like, you know what, just, just let me do it. And then having him jack it up, but he really wasn't strong enough yet, and me getting frustrated and being like, you know what, move aside. Let me do it. And, and then trying to help him remove some of the bolts to get to the brake calipers and the brake pads and being like, you know, why don't you just sit over here and watch, and I'll do it. And, and then realizing trying to teach and show him how to do it, it took us three hours to do a 35-minute break job. It was a whole lot more work teaching him how to do it than me just doing it myself. And then a light bulb went on for me. My dad was not making less work for himself by showing me the ropes he was making enormously more work for himself in the moment. And yet with patience and grace, he did it anyway. I was blessed with an extraordinary father. He did a lot of things right. Now, he did a lot of things wrong too, and maybe I'll share some of those stories someday. He was flawed as we all are, but his ability to raise up his children to lead and to do well was extraordinary. And the truth is, I think about him a lot, and I wish I was the father he was. With so much patience and gentleness for his kids. And the truth is, too often I'd rather complete the task myself at my speed with my timing and my way than investing so much energy in coaching my kids to do the work. Well, some of those very memories came to mind as I was sharing our leadership message two weeks ago on investing and raising up future leaders. If you were here, you remember we said we need to shift our thinking from doing all the work, especially doing the work of leadership, to developing our 
future leaders. And today we're gonna advance the discussion. Here's what we're gonna learn today. Here's our big idea for today. Effective leaders often learn from the past, but they always look to the future. Now, this is such an important truth for us today as, as we are in this leadership here at FCC as we lead this 99-year-old church that's had incredible historic ministry in this community that's had steady leadership for generations. Effective leaders often learn from the past, but they always look to the future. If you have your Bibles, we're in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. And to some of you, this passage of scripture might seem familiar. We did a series in the spring on Elijah and Elijah. But if you're in 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21, here's what it says. So Elijah went from there and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. And Elijah went up to him and he threw his cloak around him and Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? And so Elisha left him and went back. And he took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them and he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and he gave it to the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and to become his servant. Now, Elijah is one of the most significant figures in the entire Bible. He was the, the spiritual leader, the primary spiritual leader in Israel during some of the nation's darkest ages. Now, he, saw, he was a prophet, uh, which what that means is he saw sin and he confronted it and he predicted what would happen if people didn't change their ways. And for Elijah, that wasn't just confronting people's sins individually, but he confronted the collective sins of his nation. And so in 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah was complaining to God. Now, if you remember from the spring, that is something Elijah often did. He was kind of a complainer. And so he's complaining to God in chapter 19 that he's all alone as a prophet. I'm the only remaining prophet in Israel, which was totally not true, which we're about to see. But Elijah, he was lamenting and he was using hyperbole to express his deep loneliness and his depression and his despair. And he just had a hard time seeing his way forward at this moment in life. And it is hard to see your way forward when you are lonely and depressed and living in despair. And so Elijah's complaining to God, I'm all alone, I'm the only one left. And God reminds Elijah that there's this young man named Elisha. And God tells Elijah to go and appoint Elisha as his successor, but it's not just find him and appoint him, but train him up as well. Now there's something that we often miss, and it's really written more between the lines, but this is part of Elijah's story. Elijah was the leader of a school that trained up prophets. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 3 actually shares the name of the school. The actual name of the school was the Sons of the Prophets. Some translations call it, call it the Prophets Guild. And what's happening in our text for today is Elijah is selecting Elisha to be his successor as the leader of that school, taking him on as a student and a servant with the view to handing the mantle of leadership over to him in the future. Now, this is an interesting choice because there were already 
other prophets in the school, some more advanced in years and experienced in Elisha. But Elijah, at God's direction, chose Elisha to succeed him. That's what's going on here. Let's go back to verse 19. I'll read it again. It says, so Elijah went from there and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat, and he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and he threw his cloak around him. A couple of important things to note in just this one verse. Elisha, the student, was wealthy. It's something that jumps off the page. He was wealthy. It says he, he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, which means he had 24 of these beasts of burden. He had 12 plows. And folks, that's like having 12 farm tractors today. And if you know anything about farm tractors, you know they are expensive. Elisha was wealthy. Something else we notice is that Elijah is inviting Elisha to succeed him. It says that Elijah went up to him and he threw his cloak around him. Now, older translations don't call it a cloak. They call it a mantle. Older translations say Elijah threw his mantle around him. And in fact, this is where we get our English phrase, passing the mantle. Now, cloak is probably a better translation for us today. It's the outer blanket that people would drape around their clothing and it protected them from the wind and the weather. It gave them a blanket to sleep under at night and everyone always had a mantle that they kept with them. And Elijah's mantle was unique. It was made of hairy leather. Think of a camel skin and it, it must have been particularly distinguishable, different than other people's because it enabled King Ahab to recognize Elijah from a distance in 2 Kings 1.8. In fact, Elijah's cloak was so identifiable, so unique that all the future prophets, including John the Baptist, hundreds upon hundreds of years later, adopted the same clothing. And so again, think of camel skin big enough to be used as a blanket. That's what a mantle is. And so Elijah walks up to Elisha and, and he is plowing his fields and, and he throws his mantle, his cloak over Elisha's shoulders. Now we see that, we go, what in the world's going on here? That sounds so strange. Well, it's strange to us, but it was actually very common to them. In fact, this was something the ancients did ceremonially when they adopted a child. Now this is also something other Near Eastern religions did to signify a shift in spiritual leadership from one leader to the next. Now for Elijah and Elisha, this particular passing of the mantle may have been symbolic of both adoption and succession. Now here's another thing we need to notice. Elisha wasn't a stranger to Elijah. Elisha was very likely already a part of Elijah's school, the sons of the prophets. One might even wonder if his wealth gave him access to the opportunity for such an education. But we think, scholars think Elijah and Elisha were familiar with each other before this time. So let's keep reading. 1 Kings 19 verse 20 and then the first part of verse 21, it says, Elisha then left his oxen and he ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? And so Elisha left him and he went back. Now, Elisha, he's so excited. He knows he's being chosen as Elijah's successor. He, he jumps at the opportunity. You can almost see him just dropping what he's doing, saying, let's go. And, and they set off together. But then there seems to be this moment of reflection. And maybe it's just the, the grief of change. 
because change is often hard. Maybe Elisha was having second thoughts. Maybe Elisha was counting the cost. Maybe Elisha really did just want to say goodbye to his parents and close up the farming business. We can't really know for sure, but what we do know for sure is Elijah blessed him to go back. They were looking forward, but he said, okay, it's okay for a moment to go back. And the latter part of verse 21 tells us what happened upon Elisha's return. It says, he took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and he gave it to the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and to become his servant. Now this is serious commitment. In fact, it, it, it reminds us of two other historical events you may have heard of in 334 BC, Alexander the Great, he attacked the Persian Empire, which was his most dangerous enemy. And upon reaching the Persian shore with his soldiers, he instructed his men to turn back for a moment to burn the boats that brought them there. And Alexander reasoned that without an escape option, they knew there's gonna be no retreat, we have to go forward. Then each man would then fight as if his life depended on it because it did. Happened again many centuries later, millennia later, 16th century Cortez employed the same tactic, facing a much larger Aztec army. He knew only extreme measures would lead to victory, and so he also ordered his men to burn their boats, likewise sending a clear message that their survival was dependent upon moving forward instead of going back. Elisha sacrificing his oxen and feeding the meat to his community as well as burning his plows, this wasn't merely symbolic of commitment. It was actually an exceedingly practical step. Elisha was divesting himself of his wealth. There would be nothing to go back to. If he just gave his oxen and his plows away, he could simply return later and ask for them. By destroying them, he was not only doing something good for his community in the moment by feeding them, but he was ensuring that he could never go back. Now, he took a moment to look back, to say farewell to his family, to divest his wealth, but after that, it was, okay, now it's time to move forward. So what do we see here? Well, we see Elisha and Elijah looking forward. And that's what effective leaders do. Effective leaders look forward. Effective leaders learn from the past, but they always look forward to the future. It's been more than a year and a half now, but Gary and I, when we first sat down together and we started talking about this transition here at FCC, this, this leader shift, I asked him, I said, like, how do you know? I mean, this is such a big decision to say I'm ready for a shift. How do you know when it's time as a leader for transition and succession. And his answer was profoundly honest. Here's what he said. He said, you know, when you're talking more about what you've done in the past than what you're gonna do in the future, it's time for a change. But certainly there is a time to look back. In fact, it's important to do so for several reasons, and uh, Gary actually talked about some of the reasons a little bit last week, but I wanna share three reasons we should look back. Here's the first one. We should look back 
to be encouraged by God's faithfulness. You know, when we sit back and we reflect upon the past, we discover how even in our hardest times, even in our struggles, even in our sins and our difficulties and the battles we fight, even in those moments, when we look back, we discover God has been so good, so kind, and so faithful with us. Now, I love the song we sing. We sing it pretty often here at FCC. The lyrics go like this. I think you know it. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good with every breath that I am able. I will sing of the goodness of God. Whenever we sing that song, so many memories for me come to mind, some very good memories and some very difficult ones. And I am just in awe of how God has brought me through them all with patience and grace and kindness and a demonstration of his power and his faithfulness. In the Old Testament, they had these monuments called Ebenezer Stones. And these monuments were set up to remind future generations of what God had done in that place. Now, this was before they were writing everything down. They wanted to remember the stories of God and so they set up these monuments and maybe a family was traveling through a village where the people previously faced some difficulty and where God had done something profound and in the aftermath, they raised this monument, this Ebenezer and a father would be traveling with his family and they would see this monument many generations later and the father would gather his family around the monument, around these Ebenezer stones and he would say, let me tell you a story of God's faithfulness. And then he would share the story of what God had done in that place. We look back. We look back to be encouraged by God's faithfulness. Number two, we look back to learn important lessons that God wants us to learn. And I think we all agree that history and experience are great teachers that give us wisdom. Job chapter 12, verse 12 asks, is not wisdom found among the ages, does not long life bring understanding? I can learn about success and failure by looking back. What worked, what didn't work, what, what can be learned from what worked and what didn't work. My dad used to say to me all the time when I was a teenager, he would say this, and it was almost always after I had, you know, screwed something up or messed something up or made some, some mistake and, and he would share a story about a mistake that he had made growing up and, and he would say this, he would say, experience is the best teacher and the best experience is other people's. And here's what he was saying, he was saying, Matt, I want you to learn from my failures so that you don't have to make the same mistakes I made. And so we look back to learn the life lessons that God would have us learn. And number three, we look back to honor those who helped us get here. Last week, Pastor Gary talked about the preparations that King David made to make sure Solomon could build the temple in Jerusalem, how David made all the preparations, but then Solomon got to experience the glory of building it. 
And it would have been easy for Solomon to say, hey, look what I did. And, and in fact, we call it Solomon's temple. But Solomon never could have done what he did without David going before him. And so we look back to honor those who helped us get here. Now, each of these are important lessons and reasons effective leaders look to the past. But ultimately, what do we have to do? We have to look to the future. And because Elijah had looked to the future, Elisha was prepared to take the mantle going forward. Second Kings chapter two, verses 12 through 15. Now, before I read this, just in context, what you have to know is Elijah had just been miraculously taken to heaven. So this is the end of Elijah's life. Here's what it says, verse 12. Elisha saw this and he cried out, my father, my father. And then Elisha saw him no more. And then he took hold of his garment and he tore it in two, which is symbolic of grief. Verse 13 says, Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak, the mantle, that had fallen from him. And he went back and he stood at the bank of the Jordan and he took the cloak, the mantle, that had fallen from Elijah and he struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left and he crossed over. And the company of the prophets, think school, the school of prophets, the guild from Jericho who are watching said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and they bowed down on the ground before him. All right, real quickly, and this is from Elijah and Elisha's leader shift, three reasons to always be looking forward and then we're done. Number one, looking forward prepares us. The verses we started with where Elijah called Elisha and then the verses we're finishing with where Elisha becomes the leader of the prophets, they're actually separated by a span of seven years. And during those seven years, Elijah had the opportunity to prepare Elisha. Likewise, when we look forward, when we envision the future, we can plan the steps we need to take to get there and we can also anticipate potential problems that may come. And if we can envision what's coming, then we can prepare more effectively. Number two, looking forward connects us. It connects us under the goals and the dreams and the plans. Looking forward connects us. And what ultimately brought Elijah and Elisha together outside of God's sovereign hand, God was working in it. But what brought them together is they were both working toward the same thing in leading the other prophets and leading the school of the prophets. And if you're leading a team or a business or a school or a ministry or a home, and parents, this is so important in the home, you need to be connected to people who have shared goals and shared dreams so that you're working toward the same things. We can envision the future that connects us together on the same mission. And then the third thing is looking forward empowers us. Elisha was empowered by the passing of the mantle. After Elijah was taken to heaven, his cloak remained and Elisha took it and he used it miraculously to part the Jordan River. So why is that significant? Well, it's a miracle. That's pretty incredible. But it's really significant because it was something Elijah had done before at the Jordan River. And it was something Moses had done long before at the Red Sea. 
And this act demonstrated to the other prophets as well as to the people of Israel that Elisha was empowered by the same spirit, the same God who empowered Elijah before him and Moses long before them. And this secured the succession. It was clear while while Elijah and Elisha were different people, they were empowered by the same God, the same work, and the same mission. Now, for my part of this leader shift at FCC, Pastor Gary and I are certainly different in some ways, but we are committed to the same God, the same gospel, and the same work, which is to willingly shepherd God's flock that is under our care. First Peter chapter five, verse two says, be shepherds, of God's flock that is under your care, which is exactly where we're gonna pick up next week. And so our takeaway for today, don't miss next week. (laughs) Look forward, plan on being here next week. Be fully connected to our church. As Pastor Gary likes to say, it's gonna be great. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so thankful for you and for Jesus and for your spirit within us. I'm so thankful for this church. I'm so thankful for how you've called us to serve this flock, this spiritual family together. May we serve one another in love. Lord, bless us and keep us. Make your face shine upon us. Be gracious to us and give us peace. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If we can pray for you or encourage you in any capacity, please let us know at FCCFM.org.